0: Welcome to Quicklink Podcast on Thursday, the 8th of April. Coming up on today's show, we've got an interview with Jake Stewart, 21 year old pro with Group Armour FDJ. Promoted to their World Tour team last year, he took second at Omloop Pet Newsblad in February, sixth at Nukera Cursa, but had to sit out last weekend's Tour of Flanders due to a hand injury obtained in an incident with Nasu Buhani in Cholet just a fortnight ago. We chat about life with FDJ after stepping away from the BC programme, what's next for Jake after his recovery, that incident and the subsequent fallout, and whether he picks himself on Velo games. That interview with myself, Jake and co-host Inigo is coming right up after a quick look at today's action. The international tour of roads got underway with a 2.2k prologue, won by Marceli Bogoslawski of mazowsk Polski, the top-ranked continental team in the UCI Europe Tour 2020. He came home one second quicker than Dan Hul of Seg Racing Academy, with Dennis Grasvold of Team Coop, or is that co-op, in third. Racing begins in earnest there tomorrow, the first of three stages. In the day's big action, Jon Izigeri took Astana Premier Tech's second win in three days, beating Palo Bilbao of Bahrain victorious by a tyre after a group of six went clear on the final descent towards Hondaribia. Esteban Chavez was the first from that group to have a serious stab at the line, going from 700 metres out round a roundabout, but couldn't sustain the effort and was caught in the final 50. Izaguirre's lunge at the line took it ahead of Bilbao with Brandon McNulty third. Jonas Vinegard fourth, Manny Bookman fifth, Chavez sixth. The chase group of GC favourites came home 49 seconds down, meaning that McNulty takes the leader's jersey, 23 seconds clear of Privos Roglic. Vinegard climbs to third overall at 28, Bilbao is fourth at 36th, Pogaccia is 5th at 43, the only riders within one minute. Tomorrow we leave Hondaribia and travel along the Bay of Biscay coastline before tackling three Cat 3 climbs in the second half of the 160.2km stage to Ondoroa. And now to our feature interview with Jake Stewart. We'll be adding the YouTube version of this show to our interviews playlist, where you can also find our episodes with Jez Cox, Cameron Mason, Steve Lampier, and the Montezuma's race team. Here's Jake, Inigo, and myself chatting last Tuesday afternoon. We are joined by Jake Stewart, our first World Tour pro on the pod. Thank you for coming along, Jake. How, uh, how's the hand?
1: Yeah, it's a no. It's a pleasure to be here. So it's good to have a chat about cycling and all that. But um, no, yeah, the hand is uh, well. I mean, it doesn't even feel like an injury. That's the most frustrating thing about it, just because uh, you know it's not actually that painful, and it, you know it's not as obvious as breaking a collarbone or something like that. So uh, yeah, actually, it's uh, it's going pretty well. It's it's still broken, but it's uh, it's it's on the mend, and it don't really feel broken. So yeah could be worse
2: <laughs> it's a real strange injury that actually. it must be quite nice that you're able to do like normal activities you obviously like be around the house you can probably be on the turbo and stuff so it must be kind of kind of strange
1: yeah well i mean it's it's yeah it's uh it's strange i've only been able to use one hand obviously but uh and there's, there's actually quite a bit that you forget that you can't do with 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 only one hand but um no, yeah, it's uh it's yeah, you know, it's it's not as bad as having a broken collarbone or, or something like that. You see uh, yeah, you don't really you don't really feel like you're injured or whatever. So yeah, at least you can patter about on the turbo and uh, yeah, do some decorating on the house is what my girlfriend's got me doing at the <laughs> moment. But <laughs> <laughs> Lovely I was gonna stuff.
0: say you have just moved house, haven't you?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I think we moved six weeks ago now, but I've probably spent more more nights in hotels than I have done with uh with her at the new house. So yeah, it's actually nice to uh, spend some time here and uh try and make it feel a bit like home but yeah
0: <laughs> is it one of those hmm. silly injuries where you just forget you've got it like you'll pick up a paintbrush with the wrong hand or like you'll swap hands when you're cleaning the teeth it's like just agony that kind of thing
1: oh yeah yeah this is uh, you just i've completely forgotten you know that that is broken where it is kind of thing and yeah like you say picking up a toothbrush with your opposite hand or you know trying to chop vegetables and holding the vegetable with your left like just stuff like that and you're like yeah. oh shit that's broken but
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah Yeah,
2: and it's your it's your metacarpal, and and I'm not massively familiar with the bones in my hand. Is that somewhere around your thumb? Is that right? Yeah,
1: so your thumb is your first metacarpal. Yeah, second metacarpal is is it your index finger, your pointer finger? Uh, Is that one? Um, So, so the bottom of your finger, where your knuckle is, basically, it's just uh, it's just fractured on the side there. um okay. But yeah, it's it's not uh, it wasn't displaced or anything. But that's that's the problem with it is uh. Yeah, I spoke with the team doctor and he said to get another x-ray done in two weeks time. And they said, obviously, because where it's broken, it's hard to splint it. So I've just got my two fingers taped together. But um, it is possible that it can still displace. So uh, just having to be careful kind of thing. And uh, yeah, just um, hopefully it just heal, heals in a, in, in a good fashion kind of thing rather than, you know, kind of setting me back again. But we'll see see what the x-ray says in two weeks time
0: is it just one of those annoying ones where it's just you just have to wait there's nothing you can do it's yeah it exactly it like
1: it's not it's not as if it's displaced so i can't have surgery on it um so yeah it's just it's just a matter of you know waiting letting the body heal itself and uh you know trying to trying to push that recovery process along as along as fast as possible but yeah it's just just a matter of patience really
0: have you had a projection on kind of time scales at all
1: Yeah it's kind of you know pretty rough the team the team have said three to four weeks Um, certainly two weeks off the off the road just to uh, give it an extra you know an extra bit of healing time because you know just the vibrations from the road it's kind of exactly where your hands resting on your hoods is where it's fractured so it's just um gotcha yeah just you know they've said three to four weeks two weeks off the road look at getting back on the road if it's if it's healing okay on the next x-ray and then you know, I think it'll just be short short hours kind of thing, hour and a half, two hours, depending on, you know, the pain and if there's much pain there and whatever. And uh, yeah, I just I think at the moment it's just playing it by ear, it's hard to really know a true timescale.
0: But That puts it right before Liège. Like... Yeah,
1: well well, I'm not uh, to be fair, I wasn't even I went down for the for the uh Arden Classics, so I was only down for Flanders. Um, looking at my calendar at the moment, I would have done usually would have done Flanders-Roubaix and then into Tour de Romandie um, okay, and yeah. Tour de Romandie is about three four weeks away I think now so you know that if all goes to plan that should be my first race back and I mean not exactly a pleasant race to go back to as a classic sprinter kind of rider but uh yeah you know it'd be nice to get stuck in I think there's one sprint
2: stage so we'll see, see <laughs> yeah, it a baptism of fire like <laughs> oh yeah exactly straight uh, back yeah in. well yeah,
1: straight into the deep end and yeah you know what is it, five days, six days,
0: I think? So, we'll see. I think it's a five day, isn't it, uh, yeah. Oh, six day. Oh, it's the one, it's the one with the two TTs, isn't it, this year? Not a
1: clue. I, I haven't, I haven't oh, paid okay. enough attention to it. To, I, just know it's, uh, <laughs> I just know it's hilly and it's got a real, real horrible climb that was, I think, in Worlds or something. Uh, it's, it's a long climb anyway and it's pretty
2: high. Mm, wow, well, you know, the less you know, the better.
0: Exactly, yeah. That's a good question then. So obviously from from our side of the view as podcasters and and bloggers we'll pore over start lists and stage profiles and the like and try and know inside out from f- from your side do you, ha, ha, what preparation do you do or is it well that's the question yeah what what's your preparation going into a race do you overthink it do you overanalyze it or is it do what madiap tells you to do yeah
1: kind of um Obviously, obviously, we like we will see the start list and all that, and uh, get the get the um the race book the day before the race. But um, yeah, I think riders have different approaches. To be fair, and you know, some guys, I know that some guys will pour over it on Valley View or checking all the towns that you go through and stuff like that. And uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, as, haven't been as into it as doing that. But yeah, certainly. Um, you know a week out from the race even three four days out from the race i'll start to pay attention to to what's coming up kind of thing and uh what to expect but you know like you know when the season's jam-packed like even as it has been just before you know we've been racing what sunday wednesday friday sunday kind of thing so when it's like that you know you're you're looking at the you're looking at the next day ahead kind of thing the day the night before the race um but yeah certainly you know team briefings are uh the you you take the majority of the points from from uh for the course and the dangerous points but that's the beauty with radios now isn't it you've always got someone in your ear telling you what's coming up and you know the ds does most of preparation really
0: have you got to that ever got to that phase where you're sat in the hotel you know say after stage three or so flip the book to the next page and it's like oh shit
1: <laughs> i think uh too far i remember that last year at uh, baby giro i just uh you know i've just taken each day as it came kind of thing and uh yeah just just flicking through the book you'd get to the hotel you'd have your massage you'd sit down and you'd be like oh shit is that stage tomorrow but uh, <laughs> you know you, you always look at the stages before the race and you know what's coming up but you kind of forget what order they're in and you just take each day as it comes in the stage race and uh yeah certainly i've had a couple of them moments where i'm like ah is is that day tomorrow is it <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, interesting i <laughs> feel like uh maybe like a one-day race i mean obviously omloop probably uh, where you came second is that a race where you'd look at that you just sort of like pour over the details like look at the corners and like the last 5k and stuff like that or, or would you sort of just take it as it comes and list the radio maybe
1: yeah well i mean omloop i think uh to be fair i did a there, there's like a press release interview that i've done with my team where we've talked about this but um omloop was kind of you know, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting to be there at the finish. That was never the expectation. Um, especially being you know my first World Tour Classics race. Um, and my job was to deliver the team to the bottom of Wolfenberg, and then just kind of you know play some wild from there on as far as I could into the race. Um, so you know I'd poured over the the parcours from where it got dangerous really you know, 5, 10k out from the Wolfenberg, you, you've got a real big road and then you turn right under a real narrow road. You know, you go from like 20 riders across the road to, to three riders, four riders. So I kind of poured over it there and, you know, I knew where I needed to move the team up and all that and I knew where we needed to be on the front. And then, you know, from after that, I hadn't really paid much attention to the parcours because really I wasn't, it wasn't the expectation for me to be there at the finish. Um, and, you know, that's when I was just, taking it in on the radio. I knew I knew the last climb was Bosberg and I knew a couple of the climbs that we'd wrecked the day before, but the last, you know, from the from the Bosberg to the finish, I, I didn't have a clue about it. it. was just listening to the
2: radio. Nice, interesting. That must have been that must have been quite a good feeling to be up there with all those top guys. Yeah, I think, uh, you know,
1: because obviously I'd, pl- I'd placed the team anyway into the bottom of Wolfenberg, and then just kind of suffered over a number of climbs and, you know, I wasn't positioning myself as well as I should have been and, uh yeah, kind of had to close some gaps and stuff like that. So when I got to Bosburg, I knew I just needed to get over it and then I'd make it to the finish in that front group. And that's kind of just how it played out in the end anyway. But yeah, it was, um, you know, to, f- to find myself in that position, you know, my first World Tour Classics race was there. It was a nice surprise.
2: It was a fantastic watch, I have to say. We were all shouting a name back home. And it's, it's crazy to look at watching the replay of this final sprint. A couple of hundred metres, maybe 150 metres, 100 metres. You, you might have had him on the line um yeah
1: that's the thing you know when i've looked back at it now that's probably you know one of my biggest regrets is uh you know because we got over the busberg and and the ds said uh that they'd ride for me for the finish you know i had stefan and and Jeanette there mm -hmm. and uh yeah they they, you know they said we'll ride for jake for the finish and you know the last 3k you had stefan and Jeanette first and second on the front of that group um and i was with them and they'd lost them probably like 3k to go um just as you know, we was moving up on the left. I think it was next to a curb, and you know the the group moved over to the left and just got squeezed off the wheel. Um, um, and I just you know, I look back at that now, and I just needed to put in a bigger fight to stay on their wheels because you know I picked up Gignette, I got lucky, to be fair, and picked up Gignette on that right hander just just close to the finish. And then uh, you know once I was on his wheel, I just could rush the gap. But yeah, I think if if I'd had more road or if I'd been you know, bang on uh, Ballerini's wheel going into, going into that final corner, I think I would have definitely been able to push him to the line.
2: Yeah, it was a very technical finish, wasn't it? Sort of like quite sort of like narrow sort of holes to get through. But um, for a first-classic performance, you must still be pretty chuffed with that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like like you say, like, because it's, it's a pretty big road and then, you you know, you turn, you've got that like S bend, that right and the left, and then it's what, 200 metres to the finish from there, I think. So, you know, it was all about positioning. In a, in a small group, when there's fatigue in the legs, usually that's a bit easier. But um, yeah, I just kind of, you know, I was a bit soft and got bullied off the wheel kind of thing. But yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, I could I took a lot of confidence from that resort on loop and kind of, you know, that's kind of set me up for, for the rest of the year, I think.
2: No, it's fantastic, so it must, been, must almost be pretty frustrating that you've got this really good condition, like you could have possibly uh, played a serious role in some of these classic races and now I've obviously you've got your injury, like that must be a little bit frustrating though.
1: Yeah, it, obviously it's frustrating, but I mean, because I, I, I was thinking about this earlier, like, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely got a silver line into it in a sense that, you know, i would um, had a lot of racing anyway, obviously I'm still young coming out of N23 and, you know, I had a lot of back-to-back racing really. And, uh, it was just kind of, you know, like the, the body was obviously ready for a rest anyway, cause I, I flew back from, uh, from Belgium and, you know, I came down with a cold and I had three or four days Ill and it kind of just, um, it's kind of, you know, it could be a blessing in disguise, you know, it's a long season and it's kind of allowed me to have a rec now reset mentally. You know, I've had what, eight days off the bike and then I can kind of go again and push on for the rest of, you know, the middle part of the season. but. um yeah, obviously it's frustrating, but I think it's, it'll certainly have its benefits in in the long run.
2: Oh, that's really good. It's really good to sort of hear you sound so positive about it. I feel like some people might might take that quite negatively, have like a bit of a knock mentally, maybe. But um, no, it sounds like you're really really up for it. Um, but yeah, what's the what's the what's next? Well, I mean, obviously, Romandy, the next race on the cards. But like for you personally, is that maybe what role would you want to play in the, in this year? Is another race you're aiming for? Maybe.
1: Yeah, I, well, I mean, like obviously, Romandy there's there's one sprint stage there, and usually there's not many sprinters in remedydy um and you know the kind of thought process behind me going to Romandy this year anyway. I've got my lead out man there with me, and it was kind of just to to go for this one sprint stage at Romandy and then try and help out the team and you know it's a good opportunity to try and get the hands in the air so you know as long as as long as my recovery goes all right and then I can get back on the on the road training pretty hard um you know I'd like to go into Romandy with a fighting chance of, you know, winning, winning that stage where it, where it's the sprint. And then, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's always hard when it's, when it's a first race back after what, three or four weeks. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly possible in, you know, given the fact that I've, I've had good legs and gone into a, into a rest and then, you know, I'll be training again. It's kind of, better going into a block arrest with good legs than it is going into block arrest with bad legs. So I think certainly I'll probably come out of uh this block arrest in, you know, pretty good condition. And as long as I can get some good training on the road and some hours in before Romundy, I think uh, you know, I'll be probably at the same condition that I have been this last few months.
2: Oh, that's really good. Okay, fair enough. And I mean is it obviously it's your first year with um at, at the world tour. Is it is it too much to ask for maybe maybe a grand tour, maybe the maybe the tour of the welter? Or is that maybe yeah, like I think a uh, years in the future. Yeah, I think if the tour is probably
1: a stretch, um, but uh, certainly you know it'd, it'd be nice to get an opportunity on a in a Grand Tour. But um, you know, really, even even before my injury, I only knew my calendar up until Ramondi, so I haven't even really sat down with the team to discuss you know the middle part and end of the season. But you know, I think as long as uh, as long as my condition's good and I'm going well, you know, the Vuelta might be a possibility because. You know, it's at the end of the season and uh, you can go there, you can kind of cook yourself and it's not going to really affect the rest of the season. So, yeah, I think it'd be a uh, be decent opportunity to try and get a grand tour in with the team. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of a discussion to have.
2: Interesting, interesting. And, like, moving a little bit closer to home, do you have any idea what's happening maybe with the British National Championships? Is that probably maybe a little goal for you as well? Yeah, not a clue
1: what's going on with that. Um,
2: yeah, I think okay. <laughs> Does anyone?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a goal. You know, it's it'd be uh, it'd be nice to win the national champs jersey. But you know, in Group Palmer FDJ, is I'd say it's probably one of the best teams to win the national championships in, just because you get such a nice jersey and it's not you know, filled with sponsorship and like this in in other teams. So yeah, I think definitely it's in my uh, it's in my uh mindset to try and win the national championships at some point in my career whilst riding
2: for Group Palmer FTJ just because. You know, you get you really get to show off that national champs jersey. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute dream. And a big question, actually, something we always talk about is a uh, white shorts with the national champs jersey. Or no? I think it. I
1: think uh, it's controversial, isn't it? Really?
2: Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I think depen- weather dependent, maybe. But yeah, we- weather dependent.
1: But I, I think I think I'd go black anyway. Um, really. If you if you look at the kit designs that we've got this year with with F D J, you know, you've got Stefan in the in the Swiss champs jersey. Yeah. Uh Damar in, you know, French champs and Jeunette in uh is Luxembourg champs, and they're all riding black shorts and actually it looks really classy. Uh, and especially especially with the black bike that we've got, I think uh yeah, it look it looks pretty classy. So I'd go I'd go black shorts, I think, if I was riding with F D uh, with Primer F D J.
2: Fair enough. i say it's bet, I'd say.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And if it's a shit day, then uh, at least no one's going to see your ass crack. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Are there any particular riders you'd like to show your ass crack to lately?
1: Uh, I don't think so, no. No. no? Okay. No.
0: <laughs> I just want to take you back a few years. Um, you mostly came to, to most of our attention at uh, Bergen, taking fifth yeah. in the Junior Worlds. Uh, obviously, you're on the uh, BC Academy team. What yeah. kind of facilitated the move the, or the step away from BC? Was it the, was it uh, um, is it the track thing? Yes, yeah. yeah. At the end
1: of the day, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was I enjoyed the track. I was, you know, pretty decent at it. Madison, anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, team pursuit. I wasn't as strong in, and certainly not individual pursuit. But yeah, certainly Madison. I really enjoyed and. I think it was definitely one of my strong points and it's certainly something that I'd like to to go back and give a go, you know, something like the the six days or whatever. I think, you know, I'd really enjoy doing something like that in the future. But um yeah, ultimately it was just the track focus and uh wanting to focus on the road and kind of had the opportunity from Gripama FDJ. Uh that's second going into my second year into twenty three and kind of you know, there was a big change around in the programme anyway. Keith Lambert was lead, leaving and, uh yeah, there was a big big change around and kind of I just fat, thought that it'd be a better opportunity for me to go to FT FTJ and uh try and pursue some out on the road than getting bugged down and in the British Academy focusing on track and, and road. And to be honest, I think, you know, if I'd stayed with the, the Academy given the last two years, obviously you couldn't have, forecast for a, for a global pandemic but I think yeah certainly if I if I'd stayed in that setup I think I'd probably still be in there at the moment rather than riding for a world tour team so I think it's probably the best decision I ever made anyway for my de- development and career going forward
0: oh absolutely uh, and of course uh, with some help with the Dave Rayner fund uh, voted the rider at the year twice in a row as well um, yeah what, exactly what, yeah what can you say about I mean we we big up the DRF on here quite a lot but from from a rider's point of view, what can you say about about the uh, foundation?
1: I think obviously for for riders that are abroad, obviously that that's who it's for. But it's certainly you know invaluable for for a lot of riders that you know they, they can't really put put a price on you know the support that, that Dave Radenford provides for them. Because uh, you know obviously I was in a pretty fortunate position with Groupama FDJ, where you know I was getting paid a salary and a wage and all that. So it wasn't as if I really needed the support from group uh, from uh, Dave Rainer fund in in the sense of financial support. But, um, you know, I think for a lot of, for for a lot of young riders that are going abroad wanting to pursue a career on the road, you know, it's not always easy to get on a team that's paying a good salary and, you know, obviously the Dave Rainer fund provides a financial support that helps you, you know, survive, survive on the continent and kind of chase them that dream of, becoming a professional athlete so yeah certainly you know the the financial aspect of the deverona and how they support young riders is you know invaluable and uh yeah even even you know Tim and josh obviously they've got such good connections with within the sport and uh yeah certainly it is uh is a big help for for a lot of riders trying to make a career on the on the road
0: is there any particular advice you'd give to say a sixteen year old seventeen year old who are look who's looking at that now for their first Real foray into racing abroad.
1: Yeah, I think obviously, I think if you, you know, if you if you're thinking of going abroad, like you know, you, you need to choose what country you're going to. But I think, yeah, as soon as you know, you know, what country you're going to be basing yourself from, I think the biggest thing is just learning the language. I think for me, that made the biggest difference. It made life a lot easier in in uh, in France, and uh, certainly, you know, if if you can learn the language and get stuck into to the culture of that uh whatever country you're going to be basing yourself from it'll make make your life a lot more enjoyable and uh it'll make you a better bike rider just because you'll be pretty you'll be fresher in the head and you're not going to have you know other other things on your mind and you're not going to be unhappy and all this and i think that's the biggest thing you know as long as as long as you're, you're a happy bike rider you're a fast bike rider so yeah get stuck into the language and and, and embrace the uh the culture
2: yeah, that's really interesting. I mean I'm sure your French must be pretty tip top now. Is that the I'm assuming that's the language they speak in FTJ?
1: Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't even say tip top. It's getting there. It's uh yeah, it's a long process learning a language really, isn't it? But um yeah, I, I can I can communicate well enough with the team and yeah, you know, when, when all your briefings and DSs on the radio speaking French, it's a bit easier to pick it up faster. But yeah, it is is the main is the main spoken language of the team. Even even in uh I believe I think it was we had uh, seven guys and they were all uh, we were all international, but yeah, French was still the spoken language when doing briefings in, in on the radio. So yeah, it's definitely uh, still a very French team.
2: Did you start from scratch when you first moved to France? Did you? Uh...
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, even even if you learn a language in in, in school, is, you're pretty much starting from scratch when you. <laughs> yeah when you go abroad because at the end of the day you're learning to pass an exam rather than learning to speak the language and communicate with people but um yeah it was you know i'd learn a bit in school but it was pretty much just from scratch if you you know if you will
0: yeah i'm pretty much okay as long as i need to know where the beach is or yeah exactly (laughs) Or you want to talk about
1: what colour your walls are in your house (laughs) yeah Yeah. i've
0: been 11 years old for uh, the past 15 years (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, you'll get there with that. You'll, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to get by with that, I think.
0: Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I can say my guinea pig's in the bin under the window. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know what else you'd need, really. It'll get me by. No,
1: no exactly.
0: Are there any things shouted at you over the radio by uh, Madio that you are happy not to know what they are?
1: Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's a race that we've fucked up in or... You know, we've got five. We've got five guys in the third group. (laughs) Yeah, I'd rather not uh, not understand what's being shouted over the radio. But um, now, to be fair, you you know, even even if even if you've got a DS that's speaking English on the radio is usually hard enough to understand. So, if I'm actually honest with you, I I understand hardly anything that's shouted over the radio.
0: (laughs) From my experiences of team cars, uh, eighty percent of it is unintelligible anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. under under panic and. uh... Oh, Julia uh, has just finished. Okay, yeah, under the panic and stress and dodgy. That's one of those weird things. With all the technology in the sport, we'd have thought, race radios, you might be able to hear each other.
1: Yeah, well, I think well, a lot of it is just there's so much wind going on. Well, okay, especially Belgium. There's so much wind in the background that no matter what you say, it's just it's just crackly as anything. Uh, but yeah, you know, one of the only things I understand from, from the radio is bid on. Because someone wants to bid on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: we're uh, talking the beyonds. I mean, you've got to be very careful where you throw them these days. I,
1: I think, yeah. I mean, I I've, I made my thoughts clear on that. I think on on Twitter the other day, but um, yeah, I think I I agree with the with the new rule completely as regards to littering. I think you know it drives me nuts when I see guys in the peloton launching bottles into ravines or hedges and gels into ditches and whatnot, but. I think throwing a bid onto a spectator is a completely different completely different thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought when they introduced these new rules, it was going to be a rolling scale of, or oh, a sliding scale of, you know, worn, fine, DQ. For a guy off the back yeah. of the pack, just tossing it to, I mean, a bit, people say, you know, it's towards the fans, but it is just throwing a bottle away at random people. It's not like it was his mum and dad with a big, you know, big sign saying, you know, hi, hi Michael. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what? Ba- I don't understand why that's a disqualification. As it, no, I
1: been, mean, just, no, you know. I don't understand why. I think, I think, so. well, I mean, they've tried fines in the in the past, and uh, that's the thing. You know, you you can't really, you can't give a team a massive fine for throwing a bottle. Well, but I mean, you could. But I mean, you know, teams have got such a budget at the moment. Like, you know, you're finding riders. And teams a thousand euros for signing on late or not in the right order. Do you know what I mean? And you know, teams are still signing on late and in the right not in the right order. So I think even with fines, yeah, it's gonna uh, you know, riders are still gonna litter, but I think if the if the uh if the precedent is set that if you if you're gonna throw a bottle to a spectator or you're gonna litter, you're gonna be DQ'd, then riders aren't gonna be doing it. Um which yeah, fair enough. I think, like I said, throwing throwing bottles and gels into into hedges. Is I'd say a dis- disqualifiable offence because you don't need to be thrown a bottle or a gel into the into the into the hedges. There's plenty of other places yeah. that you can take it. But yeah, I think you know, like like what Mickey Show has highlighted this week. You know, it's such a big part of our sport is bid ons and throwing them to spectators just because you know majority of the time when I throw a bid on, it's because I'm throwing it to a kid that has come to yeah. watch a bike race and is probably going to make their day getting a bid on and. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, obviously as a sport, we need to engage with the fans as much as possible. And I think throwing bid-ons to, you know, kids and spectators is been the engagement in the sport. And I think it's probably only going to be damaging not being able to throw bid-ons to, to spectators and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's for the UCI to discuss, in it?
0: Maybe if you throw a bid-on, then you'll have to keep another one, which you can then put on eBay to pay the fine that you've got for throwing a person <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, what can you put a price on getting disqualified? Anyway,
0: <laughs>
1: so yeah, yeah, it's uh, it. It seems I don't know. You know, it's, it kind of seems a bit a step too far for in in my eyes. I think, but you know, I think.
0: Do you think it's a bit like when they brought VAR in, and it was a bit like silly season that they suddenly cracked, like the start of every football season when they like the referees go right, no challenges from behind, and then oh that World Cup was it six years ago where there's like eight red cards in the first couple of weeks for innocuous challenges. And then they kind of realised, all right, no, we should actually dial this back. I hope it it goes
1: that way. And they they look at it and review it. But um, yeah, I think we need to see, you know, UCI have made some decisions and they need to establish if they're setting a precedent or if they're going to let certain things slide and certain things not slide. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, only time will tell in, in that circumstances.
0: Yeah, they don't seem the most forward-thinking or uh, a, a prompt of organisations to affect any change.
1: Yeah, I think I've, I've got to be careful what I say, really. Just just because it's the governing body. Yeah, of, I was, I was know, cycling, but yeah, um, yeah, I think I think plenty of riders recently have made their thoughts clear on what the UCI, what the decisions that the UCI are making, and what they think of them. And I think all you need to do is look at social media to professional riders that have commented on certain issues to uh, to get the general consensus of what the
2: peloton also thinks is what I'd say. Spoken like a true professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I we haven't mentioned the the incident. The big, I don't. The I, elephant I, in the room. Yeah. The elephant in the room. Yeah. I mean, you made your thoughts was uh, saying pretty clear on Twitter, where where you said obviously there's been a lot of other stuff that's happened since then that is completely unacceptable is there anything you wanted to say about that maybe but uh, yeah I think even I think what's
1: what's most obvious is you know the the uh what the has is highlighted yesterday and what's what I've put on my uh my Twitter today is that regardless of you know there might be people listening to this that have even you know <laughs> directed hate or racism or whatever towards Boani but whatever your thoughts are on the the issue that occurred at Chalet it is completely unjustifiable to direct racism and hateful comments towards NASA and you know there's no no place for that in not only in sport but in society you know racism is you know completely deplorable and uh, yeah you know um, it's disgusting that you know fans so called fans of this sport have you know decided to to direct racism and hateful comments to you know to one of the athletes in the sport and uh yeah i think as i said in my tweet you know you're not welcome here if 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 that's your thoughts and that's how you're going to treat professional athletes and not even professional athletes for, for that matter but anyone you know you're not, you're not welcome
2: yeah it's a real shame to see i really hope that cycling can sort of take the uh, take an example from what f- football have started to do how how much more awareness has been uh, put out there about this issue, um, and I really hope that cycling can uh, improve in that way because it's it's just it's just not acceptable.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I think uh, you know, it's it's become more obvious recently just because I imagine more riders are uh, you know commenting on the issues within cycling. But obviously, everyone knows that cycling is not a massively inclusive sport. Um, you know, it's it's predominantly white. I think you know, it, it doesn't take you know it's not rocket science to work that out and i think um you know i think the the activities this week that you know that has highlighted he said that it's not just you know this issue that is uh has sparked racism it is something that he's had to deal with for a long time and i think you know that's is is completely unacceptable and uh you know as as a sport we need to do something about it as riders we need to we need to get behind the riders that are experiencing this and, that you know, we need to take a firm stance that racism is not accepted and, you know, be it in sport or wherever, you know, it is, is not something that's going to be tolerated. And, you know, if you're going to be racist and hateful towards people, then, you know, keep your mouth shut kind of thing, because, you know, it's, it's the classic saying and it. If, uh, if you ain't got anything nice to say, don't say it all. And, yeah, you know, keep keep your thoughts to yourself because no one wants to no one wants to hear that kind of language or that kind of uh you know, your thoughts anyway on on, on a subject like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't have put it better myself. Yeah,
0: similar into
1: right. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not, not No, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just uh you know, I think a stance has got to be made, hasn't it really? And uh yeah, complete completely support and stand behind Boine regardless of the issues that, you know, have happened in the in the last week. So yeah, I think it's as clear as I can make my thoughts. Make as clear as I can, you know, make myself that racism. There is no, there is no place for it. So, yeah.
2: No, fair play to you. It's really good to hear, especially after uh, what happened in the the incident. So, you know, fair play to you, hundred yeah, percent. No, mega, sweet. Yeah. Uh, other other than Arnold Demar, who's winning shelter,
0: Priest? Oh fuck no! Have
1: you seen the weather forecast for it? Yes. Is it,
0: it's, yeah. It's
1: it's it absolutely. is atrocious. It is like two degrees of snow, I believe. It looks would awful. you have been racing
2: it? Had you not been injured? Uh,
1: no, I wouldn't have done. I would have done. Normally, I would have done. Well, actually, it could have changed. It depends uh, because obviously, Roubaix has now been cancelled. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I may have been. This training is now it, <laughs> I think honestly, I, d- I don't think Schneider will will be. If if the weather is as bad as it's forecast to be tomorrow, I don't think it'll come down to a bench sprint. I reckon it could be anyone's game. Um, you know, it, I, it I fancy is. a
0: cheeky euro on Alex Richardson.
1: Ah yeah, yeah, could oh. be a good bet. Yeah, a last ditch attempt for the line kind of thing. Um, yeah, but Which is fun yeah, I think to be history. to be honest, if, if it's two degrees and snowing, it could well be a extreme weather <laughs> protocol. So we might not yeah. even get racing. But yeah, I think I think it's anyone anyone's anyone's race to win tomorrow. I don't think it's uh if the weather's as bad as it's forecast to be. I don't think it, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be anyone's bet. Is whoever's the hardest person in it?
0: Whoever's got the biggest bollocks <laughs> yeah, at the end, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just hope they're not in white shots
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, is 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 Bennett there? Sam Bennett. Uh,
0: yeah, I think he, he is. is yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, he is. I that, think it, he'd be my bet if it comes
1: down to it. it comes down to a bunch sprint. If, if if it's not Demar.
0: If it's not Demar, yeah. yeah but a little uh, stop, stop question, just because I looked at the start list now. Uh, Lewis Askey, he's he's yeah. doing great guns
1: newest member I... of the world tour team isn't he <laughs> yeah no he's it's uh, no, class to see you know what I mean obviously this this role with uh, with the county and the world tour team is I think it's been a blessing for for Groupama FDJ in the sense that you know for the Conte team it can give them young boys such an experience and especially given you know current circumstances coronavirus and there's not many races for under 23s I think it's uh, it's a really good opportunity for for them young boys in the Connie team to show themselves and uh yeah, I mean, Lewis is, he's done what, four, I think he's done six race days this year and four of them have been with the World Tour team. So, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I he's certainly,
1: you know, he's, uh, he's certainly taken the opportunity really well. Uh, I'd say that, um, you know, at Chalet, he did such a good job with me and, yeah, you know, he was, uh, you know, he, he did, uh, you know, what any other World Tour rider would be doing kind of thing. He, he really rode like a World Tour rider at, at Chalet. And I think, uh, you know, I think he did the, the same at, Tor Arangel the other day with Demar, and I'm sure he'll do the same tomorrow at Sheldepree but yeah I think uh, yeah I think I think Lewis will certainly be a uh, a future signing for Group Palmer FDJ and I, I certainly hope that he will be just because uh, you know it'll be good to have him have him on the team with me and uh, you know I think he'll definitely be an asset to it to my lead out training if, if that's how we look at doing it in the future so yeah I think uh, for Lewis it's, it's really beneficial. Yeah.
0: Yeah. See he seems a really top lad actually as well
1: yeah, yeah, he's uh yeah, I mean he's really impressed me this year, obviously. I was on the Conti team with him last year and uh, you know, he really he really rode his socks off for me last year with the at the Baby Giro and uh, you know, in the world tour riding with the World Tour team this year, he's really stepped it up again and uh yeah, he's got he's got a real mature head on his shoulders kind of thing and um yeah, I think, you know, he, he as long as he keeps on doing what he's doing, he'll he'll make it in the world tour. I, I definitely think he's uh he's got the quality and the calibre to to be a really good World tour bike rider in the future. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, the team are really happy with him anyway. So yeah, as long as he keeps
2: on doing that. Yeah, it's really good to see such a, it's, like, it's really good to see sort of like seeing such a top French team backing like young British talent. Um, obviously yeah. over in Europe, it's really nice to see.
1: Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's, it's really nice, obviously, because, so that was the funniest thing. Like, obviously when I moved to Group Power I had a lot of people telling me that it was a bad decision for me to do because apparently what they believed was English riders in French teams, they die in French teams kind of thing. And I think that was kind mm, of the yeah. mentality of a lot of people for a long time. Yeah, that's um, really old school. Isn't it? Yeah, it's really old school. And obviously a French team, you know, I'd never be able to put my finger on what makes a French team a French team. But if I was to say to you, yeah, it's a French team, you know what I'm on about,
2: do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I always yeah. get this impression of the French team, like they look after their own. It's very French. Like, yeah, yeah. A that, parma.
1: It, and it is still like that to an extent, certainly. Um, but, you know, it's, that, that's the thing. You know, that's what makes it such a nice team is it is a family rather than just a business. And I think that's, mm. you know, so many cycling teams now are a business rather than than a family. But, yeah, certainly FTJ is, is a lot more international. Uh, to be fair, I think it's been so beneficial to the team to be more international. Um, rather than just purely French riders and a couple of international boys. I think certainly it's a a step in the right direction for the team and and it's been really beneficial for them as well to have some British guys. But yeah, I think hopefully Lewis will be another British signing for the World Tour team.
2: Yeah, it's really good to see. must feel like home now, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and that that was a funny thing. Like when I I first signed with FDJ, obviously I was the first British signing since Wiggins. uh, Of course, And yeah, uh, Mark came over to me at the at the team camp and he said he shook my hand and he said you're the first rider on my team since Wiggins you best be good. <laughs> 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 and, uh, you know that kind, of, that kind of really struck like struck a chord with me was actually you know like I am the first rider since Wiggins to be on that team and it's it is some big boots to fill kind of thing but um, yeah kind of I think the. Certainly, the team are recognising the the talent in the UK, and also the you know the mentality of British bike riders. I think they're realising that actually it's is 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 good to have them in their team, and it, it'll make for a better team for them as well. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction.
0: I'm guessing you probably haven't hadn't had any race days with uh, Joe Pidcock yet this year. No,
1: he hasn't, he hasn't ridden up with the World Tour team this year. I don't believe.
0: Um, oh, Okay.
1: Uh, but no yeah it'll be interesting to see if he's given the opportunity obviously he's he's still really young and he's a first year in the 23 so i'm not too sure if he'll get given many opportunities to ride up with a world tour team just purely you know he's is wow he's well, his first first year in the under 23 ranks like obviously it's hard enough stepping up from junior to under 23 and then if you're stepping up from junior to a world tour race well not a world tour race but a one class race with his world tour teams is another step higher in it so yeah, I don't know don't know how many opportunities he'll get given this year with the World Tour team, but it'll be good to see him uh see what his progress is like with the Conte team. And you know, if he as long as he does the same as what Lewis and I have done previously, then it's uh I don't think he'll really go too far wrong. So yeah.
0: Like you all seem in good hands.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think if you're in uh if you're in the hands of Mark Madio, it's a uh, it's a pretty good team manager to be in the hands of in it. So yeah, it's uh it's definitely a team that looks after you and it's uh you know i certainly see it as a home now anyway so i don't really see myself at many of the teams in the future and uh yeah it's certainly uh certainly a good team for me and they understand me and i understand them really well so that's all you really need is a bike rider
2: in it it sounds really good it sounds like a really professional uh setup actually it sounds it's really good to hear that you're sort of, you're happy then
1: yeah well that, that's the thing in it as well because like even going to like the development team you know you're you're never too sure how professional it's going to be but you know the development team is just as professional as the world tour team if you're stepping up from a devo team to the world tour team it is no different it's not as if you're treated as kids in the devo team and adults in the world tour team there's none of that shit going on it's you know you're you're an adult if you're if you're in the team you're treated as an adult and uh and yeah it's um yeah it's a good it's it's a really nice team to be a part of actually
0: that seems something that's really improved the last few years with the, the dev teams that have all under like the same umbrella, the same fold, like uh, LCFDJ, uh, DSM, or some web. Um, AD2R. It all seems the same family, rather than it being, mm. you know, shoved off. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. The second team.
1: Yeah, I think I think it'd be it'd be really easy for a world tour team to you know, have a development team and you know treat the two teams differently. I think it'd be pretty easy for you know you could look at it as a. Uh, you know it'd be easy for the world tour team to look at the devo team and be like well they're a development team they don't need this they don't need that you know and uh i'd say an example of it would probably be british cycling where that does happen
0: yeah um, here's your kit go win some races yeah. yeah
1: well not even that but like you know you've got the podium boys you've got the senior academy boys and then you, well boys and girls but you know you've got the podium boys senior academy boys junior academy boys and that's where i noticed it most obviously junior academy with stuart blund you are a junior athlete you know you shouldn't be getting i don't think getting massages and you know really good kit and stuff like that because you don't need it as a junior rider you know you're not riding the distance you're you're not racing 100 race days a year or whatever and and all that shit but certainly you know as a junior rider and junior development program i think they've got it really good with stuart blund but you know moving up from there. I do see a difference personally when I was on the program. I don't know if it's different now, but the difference between podium and uh, and senior academy, I think there's certainly a line between the two and, you know, you're kind of treated differently. And I'd say you're probably treated more like a kid on, junior, on senior academy than you would be if you was on a development team at the same age. Um, and that's just my personal view and how I felt when I was on there. But yeah, I think certainly between world tour teams, you know, at, at FDJ, it certainly feels like you know you're looked after just the same in the in the Devo Devo team as you are in the World Tour team, and you know that's really nice to to have that um, to have that you know given to you. And it, it obviously it is a privilege as an under twenty three rider to to be able to have that. But yeah, if you if you want to be one of the best bike riders, if you want to create the best bike riders in the under twenty three ranks, then you know you've got to give them the best support, and you're and you know that's how they're going to end up with the best riders in their World Tour team after that.
0: Tiny little question well, and yeah, it's a light hearted one. Like, light hearted one, Jake. Sweet. Mm. Do you play any fantasy cycling, and if so, are you in your team?
1: <laughs> I am I, in. Mean, the, the only time I used to play fantasy cycling was, do you remember Velo games a couple of years ago?
0: That's it, yeah. Yeah,
1: and uh, it was we're, with... we're
0: big fans. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the question is then, am I in your fantasy team? Yes, Every you time. Are, Every yeah.
2: classic. You're oh, right thank okay. Yeah, oh, That's so classic on the sheet sweet yeah
1: because i remember playing it like two or three years ago. when we were on junior academy we had a uh we had a we had a fantasy team uh like competition where uh for the tour de france i think it was and i i don't i don't think i did very well in it i don't think any of us did <laughs> i think we was oh, all pretty awful. much on similar riders with similar riders and they just didn't perform that year so yeah but yeah. no i don't and uh but if i did i certainly would be in my team i think
0: Oh good. That's, really good. That's good to hear. That's yeah. to hear. I always have this grudge against people I put in my team who score no points. Yeah, I right. imagine
1: I think I'd be the same. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They might as well yeah. just be dead to me. I'm like, no, you just no, yeah. don't exist to me. Anymore. No, I think I'd yeah. be the same.
1: And even <laughs> no. if they're an absolute hitter like Roglic or someone, and they just don't perform, <laughs> yeah, 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 I think you'd That's still it. hold yeah. it against them, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crash day one, they're out. Like, well, Van yeah. De- like i that yeah. De- uh, UAE tour, like. I'm sorry, man. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're just not that good. Sorry, yeah. you scored 14
1: points. No, just... no, I'd, I'd definitely be the same, I think, yeah. yeah. It's, um... But I think that's the thing. If you're a professional cyclist and you're riding with these guys and you've got a fantasy team and they're not performing in your fantasy team, you might hold it against them. <laughs> and then you'll be holding it against them and then that'll be the day you get in the winning break with them. And because it's like, so there's like three guys and you're 4K from the finish, you'll stop working and end up getting caught or they'll end up beating you. So yeah, I, uh, I, th- yeah. I, think, I think it'd create a, to- a pretty toxic environment.
0: <laughs> well, nah, when you're back man. for Torro Romandy, I'm pretty sure that is on Velo Games. I know yeah. you will uh, be I
1: know you uh, I, th- I think you should be. It's a World Tour race, isn't it? So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It be. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. back. Leave that that one sprint. Yeah, um, yeah that, that one kill, sprint. Kill, uh, kill and, then, you, you, and then, I'll be donkeying for the boys the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, really <laughs> breakaway points or something like that. Bid on, bid on,
1: bid on. No, I'll be the uh, like I said in my tweet. I'll be the, the empty bid on, uh, bid on selected to take it back to the car. That's who I'll be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So well, prevent the boys from getting fines get because fight. they're they're throwing bottles in uh, on a twenty k climb and it's thirty degrees or something, and they're drinking more bottles per five k than there are litter zones. So, yeah. I'll take one for the team and take the empty bottles back.
0: Good man. We'll let you go now.
1: No, that's sweet. Cheers for chatting appreciate that okay no yeah it's, uh, it's good to have a chat and it's uh, yeah, good to talk about something different
0: thanks for listening to Quick Link Podcast your daily microdose of pro cycling news results opinion and chat we'll be back tomorrow with another show but in the meantime you can hear all of our previous episodes at quicklinkpod.co.uk and find us across social media at quicklinkpod if fantasy cycling is your thing our fellow Games show league code is 5727 32917 like and subscribe rate and review and we'll see you tomorrow bye now